Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm organizing pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Thank you for that, Shay. I wonder if we could use exactly what Shay was talking about as we examine the story that we're going to look at this morning from Acts chapter eight. Um, A man who um, was an outcast of sorts, um, a man who wasn't welcomed in and included. And I wonder if we could try that, feeling the pain of another on that inhale as we look at the story of this remarkable man in the exhale, allowing that person's experience and pain to compel us to break down those kind of barriers that divide us. Well, when I read today's text, I was curious as to the location that Google would say is actually the ends of the earth. And I was surprised to learn that the interwebs disagree on the answer. Some claim that it's Antarctica, others Norway, some England, others Siberia. Some say the tip of South America in one person even named a small one-person town in the state of Nebraska as the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth as a biblical term occurs 46 times throughout scripture, 90 times if you count the ends of the world. So you may remember that in a resurrection appearance that we now call the Great Commission, Jesus said to go and make disciples of every nation. And right before his ascension, Luke in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 has Jesus saying that the apostles were to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And somehow, I don't think that Jesus meant a small one-person town in the state of Nebraska. But who knows? Jesus did say that the gospel would go outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. So how far had the gospel gotten so far by the time we get to Acts chapter 8? And how would it move toward the ends of the earth, wherever that actually really is? Well, Luke, with a heavy dose of irony in our lesson from last week, said that it was the stones that martyred the angel-faced Stephen that scattered the Jewish Christians out of Jerusalem in sheer terror. It was the stoning of Stephen and the intense persecution of Christians that followed that drove the gospel outward to Judea and Samaria. But how would it get to the ends of the earth? Well, enter Philip and the story that we're going to look at today. To get to the ends of the earth, you actually have to cross multiple boundaries to get there. And so as we read the story today, and you notice Philip crossing a particular boundary. I would love it if you would use that chat feature and name the boundary that Philip crossed. Get creative here, and there are many, I can assure you. So let's see if we can grow a pretty good size list here. Be on the lookout 
for all the boundaries that Philip crosses in this story. Here we go. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and he went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or is it someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. Both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so I see some already in here. Uh, geographic center of the U.S. Yeah, being, <laughs> that's good. Barry, yeah, Jeremy, crossing boundaries of Jewish law by interacting with that eunuch. That's excellent. Um, and there are even more than this. We'll keep thinking about this as we walk through it. Peter and John had returned to Jerusalem, but Philip's mission would be really different. He was one of the evangelists responsible for taking the good news of Jesus to Samaria, and those concentric circles, Judea, then Samaria. Philip was wildly successful in the Samaritan mission, perhaps as many as 20,000 people had quickly converted to the way of Jesus. So we meet an angel of the Lord who orders him to do one of the most absurd things that we see in scripture, to leave the wild success of the Samaritan mission and to travel down an isolated desert road at noon. Like, come on, who, are we serious? Who does this sort of thing? I was thinking about this. Have you ever, can it, does anything come to mind? Have you ever been invited by God into something that seemed so completely ridiculous and absurd to you? And if so, and you can identify something, did you actually do, did you do it? 
When I heard God's call to start this church, it took me three years to say yes. Philip just went. How many of us would be willing to leave a successful job behind in order to follow the command of God to take a road into the middle of the desert where the prophet Jonah says no and tried to run faithful and adventurous Philip doesn't even speak, he just goes. Two roads led south from Jerusalem. Philip was invited to take the road to Gaza, which eventually ended up in northern Africa. It would be like us going out into the Mojave Desert in order to find some unnamed dirt road with a sign tacked to a cactus that says, turn here. The great surprise is that Philip actually encountered a human being, <laughs> an Ethiopian in his chariot who was reading from the Hebrew Bible. If this sounds a little strange, then you are in good company. So let's break it down. Who is this chariot-riding, Bible-reading Ethiopian eunuch? <laughs> As we answer this question, we will bump up against those boundaries that some of us listed a few minutes ago and a few more. The man is from Ethiopia, which means he's most likely a dark-skinned African. Here we bump up against the boundary of race. I was surprised to learn this. I really didn't know this. There were at least eight of the great church fathers that were African. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo, perhaps the most influential Christian thinker in history. Tertullian, a lawyer and apologist. Cyprian, the ecumenist. Athanasius, the Egyptian bishop who adamantly defended the Trinity. Origen, the theological genius. Clement, the teacher. Saint Anthony, the father of monasticism. All African. For these Hall of Famers, to have come to faith in Jesus, the gospel first had to go to Africa. Homer in the Odyssey speaks of far off Ethiopians, the furthest most of men. Ethiopia was on the furthest most boundary of the Roman Empire, some 1500 miles from Jerusalem. That's how far this guy had traveled. Since the time of Homer, Ethiopia was regarded as the edge of the world, or to use our biblical language, the ends of the earth. And so here we bump up against geographical boundaries and the promise of Jesus. We asked how would the gospel get to the ends of the earth? The answer here in this story is the obedience of Philip and a joyful Ethiopian convert to Jesus. The Ethiopian rode in a chariot. Most people traveled on foot. The prosperous rode a donkey. The military generals rode on horseback, but the chariot was a signal of real wealth. And here we bump up against the boundary of class. This Ethiopian man was treasurer to Queen Candace and a very successful and wealthy person. He's also said to be a eunuch, most likely a castrated man, which was common for people holding high positions of the state. 
this part of the story is extremely mysterious. It's very complex because we don't know the details about this particular man. But here we bump up against sexual, possibly even gender identity boundaries. Most scholars think that it would have been impossible for this man, like Jeremy put in the chat, to have been Jewish in the first place. And being a eunuch would have disqualified him from participation in the worship, the temple worship of Jerusalem. So we know that this man is in many ways an outsider. He would have always remained an outsider within the Jewish system. And so here we bump up against ethnic and religious boundaries. This wonderfully complex man is no doubt seeking after God. He's made a 3,000 mile journey to Jerusalem, 1,500 miles each way just to worship. He probably had left Jerusalem a little bit disappointed at his lack of access and his outsider status in Judaism. He's pulled over in the middle of nowhere, pouring over the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 53. He's trying to answer this quest, find answers on this quest for truth when Philip comes and finds him. The Ethiopian man doesn't understand exactly what he's reading. He needs a guide. He wants someone who can tell him who was it that was led like a sheep to the slaughter? Who was it that in his humiliation, justice was denied him? Whose life was it that was given as a ransom for many? Philip, of course, has the answer. The man was none other than Jesus. Isaiah puts forth this suffering servant who would complete Israel's task, who would do for Israel and the whole world what they could not do for themselves, who would bear in his own body the weight of sin and the world's wickedness. Isaiah was writing a job description of this suffering servant who would accomplish God's will and rescue both Israel and the world. The prophet Isaiah was perfect for this occasion because the new blessings, the new covenant that this servant would bring would be for outsiders and foreigners. And yes, there's one place in the prophet Isaiah that says even eunuchs. Philip tells the man that the climax of Israel's redemptive story is none other than Jesus. No wonder the Ethiopian, no wonder this man was so excited. With Jesus, everyone is welcomed. Even the doubly excluded, like himself, are welcomed in. No wonder he wanted to be baptized. And no wonder he went on his way celebrating. Another outsider had been welcomed in. He had been on this quest searching for God, and then he comes to realize in the middle of the desert that this all-welcoming God had actually really been searching for him the whole time. The first non-Jew or Gentile to come to faith in Luke's epic story most likely was a Black man from Africa. This incredible man 
according to the historian Eusebius, returned to Africa as an evangelist for Jesus. Now Jesus's mandate to take the gospel to the ends of the earth has begun. This seed for the gospel has now been planted in Africa. This is an absolutely mind-boggling story. If we had hours to pour over, each of these boundaries would be pretty interesting. It would take a little bit of work. But it's also really mind-blowing for us today as well, not just for those living in the first century. Philip, the successful evangelist who actually listened to and obeyed God's crazy instructions to leave his success behind and to travel out into the middle of the desert for some undisclosed purpose. What risk, courage, and faithfulness it must have taken for him to do this slightly wacky thing that God asked him to do. And what about this incredible Ethiopian man, powerful but marginalized, with a story so complex that we have to guess at putting all the complicated pieces together? There's so much here, but I just want to finish with a few thoughts on boundary crossing. As the good news about Jesus spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria towards Ethiopia, towards the ends of the earth, it happened after the stoning of Stephen. It would have no choice if it was to move out, but to cross boundaries, serious boundaries, boundaries that had previously functioned as walls constructed to keep the undesirables out. Boundary crossing breaks down the walls that divide us. And today we are divided like never before in our lifetimes. Pioneers like Philip cross boundaries in order to seek out and to welcome in to bring down barriers of exclusion. Racial, ethnic, religious, sexual, geographic, Philip crossed more boundaries in one day than many cross in a lifetime, <laughs> all with the intent on welcoming the Ethiopian eunuch into community of the baptized of Jesus. All the walls that have been erected to keep this man out now come tumbling down thanks to the boundary crossing Philip. I just want to leave us with a couple of questions. We could spend days on the practical application of this type of message, but I'm going to leave that work to you today with a couple of challenging questions. What walls have we intentionally or unintentionally built that keep people divided? This list should be long. There's lots of different ways to think about this. We do this in the church as well. That could take, be quite a discussion right there. But the second one, what boundaries might God be calling you or us collectively to cross for the sake of the good news of Jesus that always desires to welcome people in? And crazy questions like Phil, for Philip, right? Where might the Spirit be sending you? Do you sense any prompting to go out into the desert? <laughs> I wonder what seemingly absurd thing 
might the spirit be calling you to or us collectively as a church to and will we like philip go in order to break those boundaries those barriers that divide down and welcome people in i pray so friends amen <laughs>